already started a series of messages to help us set up the year. And I'm going to continue that in a moment. But um, Pastor Katie mentioned the whole idea of getting a word for the year. And the devotion this last week was actually set on that. And Brian, maybe we need to have both of them up, the new one and that one, because uh, if you're trying to work out, well, how do I get a word for the year? The whole devotion last week was set on it. It was actually outstanding, as Katie mentioned. And our word or phrase doesn't have to be a single word, that we believe for a church is to step in. And we're going to be looking at themes out of the book of Joshua in February. We're coming to that. God says, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I have promised. And so we want to step into God's promises. We want to step into God's purposes. We want to step into God's presence. But if you, we're going to hand these out on the seats, and I think if they, as you go out, they'll be available as well. So the church's theme, you can stick that on the fridge or on somebody's forehead, I don't know. And uh, but on the back is my word for 2024, and just for you to be proud, what is the word or the phrase that God wants to emphasise? Could be patience. How many would be excited about that? Endurance. That's another good one. Promises, I don't know, just a phrase. And God, as you begin to read, and then write down a verse. And people who've done this year in and year out just talk about how much it anchors their year. So the church's phrase for the year is to step in. The promise, the scripture is from the book of Joshua. What's yours? And we'll put that devotion up again uh, for those who missed it or just want to go, how do I actually get there to do this? So you're ready for the word? Good on you, a few of you are. So we talked about putting God first as we step in to 2024. I always like to do a series of messages just reminding us mostly of things we actually know. But if we're really going to set up our year, we need to put God first in things. And I spoke about that last week. You can watch it online if you missed it. But I want to talk a little bit about what to do first or how to do that. How do we practically put God first in things? Because the order of things has spiritual power in our lives. I want to say that again. The order of things, what you put first in your life has spiritual power. It can be very negative if you put the wrong things first. But if you put God first, there's spiritual dynamics and power. Jesus, and we, most of us would be familiar with this verse from Matthew 6 and verse 33, where it says, seek first, seek first God's kingdom and what God wants. Then all your other things will be met as well. Now, I want you to notice the spiritual dynamic there, the spiritual power. Put God first and God says, you put me first and I'll take care of the other things that often, but you put the other things first and you're going to struggle with them in a sense by yourself. And notice the phrase, seek first. Sometimes it's not obvious. And the seek first, how do I put God first? And the kind of a good way of doing it is asking the question, okay, in my work life, how can I put God first? In my family life, how can I put God first? In my marriage, how can I put God first? Breakfast in bed, sweetie. For you, of course. 
But she wouldn't let me do that because she doesn't like crumbs and we won't go there. Just keep that between ourselves. In, in my finances, how do I put God first? Seek how you put God first in these different areas rather than just simply trying to get an order. Well, God first, families that can, you know, or in, in church life, how do I put God first? So seek first God's kingdom and what he wants and all these other things begin to fit into place. And I want to suggest to you one of the most important things and it's tied totally to that thought is to make a commitment to what I'm going to call spiritual fitness. At this time of year, many people have made New Year's resolutions about what they're going to do about their weight, their exercise, their fitness. And I was reading an article that said that gyms membership jump up at this time of year and from around the 1st of January when they reopen, they put out all the equipment, they bring it out of storage and the regular gym members kind of watch the rest of us come in, not knowing how to use some of the equipment, struggling with it, out of breath, all the rest of the things, you know, and then literally week after week up until about today, they incrementally take the equipment back out. And by three to four weeks into the year, it's almost back to the equipment they had at the end of the year because within three weeks, a lot of people drop off in their physical fitness. And physical fitness is good. It's helpful. should be part of what we try to do to honour God with our bodies. But the Scripture says spiritual fitness ought to be our highest priority. I'm reading from 1 Timothy 4, verse 7 through 8 from the message. And he says, exercise daily in God. And that's kind of where our devotions that you can pick up off our app and off the website that we do together and they off the Bible app and they're so accessible, so easy, just near about 10 minutes a day and you can start exercising daily in God. And he says, no spiritual flabbiness, please. Workouts in the gymnasium are useful, but a disciplined life in God is far more so, making you fit both today and forever. So if we were to, this is not looking around, this is not judging, we're not talking about physical flabbiness now, but how's your spiritual fitness or flabbiness going? No judgment, but an exhortation from the Scripture to say, hey, exercise daily in God, which is just reading some Scriptures, talking to the Lord through the day and lifting your heart in worship. Jesus speaks to a church in the book of Revelation, and we touched on this last week, and I just want to launch off that. He says to them, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. You've persevered and endured hardships for my name, and you have not grown weary. You've not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Some translations say your first love. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent 
and do the things you did first. That phrase at the end, repent and do the things you did first. Now, I want you to notice, Jesus commends this church for hard work, for perseverance, for endurance. There's a whole lot of good things they've been doing. And here's the thing, sometimes when we've been through a tough time and we've had to endure or we've put extra effort in, even in kingdom-related things, you get so focused on that that you can take your eyes off Jesus. And Jesus says, you're doing so good with all these things. I, I, I acknowledge it. Your perseverance, has been your endurance, your hard work, the effort you've put in, your faithfulness, but you've lost Well, actually, he says, you've left it. You didn't just lose it, you left it. And he said, I want you to repent. Now, the word repent there just literally in the Greek means to change your thinking, change your priorities, change your mindset. And redo the first works. And so the very practical thing that Jesus gives us, if you want to regain first love, the intimacy, start doing the things that you first did when you came to know Jesus, that enthusiasm, that passion, those practical things that you did. Start redoing those things. And so I'm going to suggest three things. One for your heart one for your mind, and one for the physical activities that you do. The priority for our heart is to just come back to the simplicity of loving Jesus. And sometimes that means a little bit of decluttering needs to happen in our lives. Do I really need to do all the things that I'm cramming into your life? And sometimes they are beyond our control. They're the demands of work or other things or a season that you're going through. But is there some decluttering you can do so that you can spend just a little more time with Jesus? Give him that priority, that first place. In Romans 8 and verse 28, the Apostle Paul gives this incredible promise. And I want you to notice he starts with the phrase, we know. He doesn't say we guess, we hope, or it's a vague possibility. He says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. And you notice how the apostle reduces this He says, if you want God to work in your circumstance, in your everyday, in the all things, and I love that phrase. Paul uses this word things quite a lot of times because they're things in our life. They're things that happen. And he says, if you want God to work in all things, keep loving him and keep saying, God, I want your will in my life. And then this God who loves us, and that's the context of the passage, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. None of the things that go on, even the terrible things, even our mistakes can't separate us from God. He says, the God who works in all things will work them together for your good, your best, if you just keep loving him and say, God, I want you all in my life, called according to his purpose. So I wonder if even right now, they just takes a moment 
You say, Holy Spirit, help me to just come back to loving Jesus. And Lord, even though I'm a little bit nervous about this, I want your will in my life. And it's a funny thing that this God who loves us, who's given us the very best in sending his son to die for us, who loves us unconditionally, we worry that if we surrender to him, he's going to do something terrible with our lives. There's a little fear that often operates in the back of our minds or the devil whispers. But you can trust the God who loves you when you say, God, I want your will and purpose in my life. So that's the priority for our hearts, to love God and say, I want your will. The priority for your mind is renewal. Embracing biblical truth not only liberates you, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, Jesus says, but it also transforms you. And there's Romans 12, which talks about the renewing of your mind. But the Apostle Paul also speaks about it in Ephesians. And he says, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes, put on your new nature. And there's a whole lot in that that we could highlight, but just this exhortation that he says, renew your mind and let the Holy Spirit work in your thinking, in your attitudes and in how you embrace biblical truth. And he says, there's some stuff you've got to put off, but then there's some stuff you've got to put on and take hold of what the Bible says about different things. And I think, without going on a long commentary on this, we're in living in the middle of a society that is throwing off ancient landmarks, ancient truths, proven ways and values. And to pretend it doesn't affect our thinking would be naive. And so that's all the more important to say, well, what does God say about this subject, about this situation? What is it that the Bible says? And sometimes that takes a bit of effort and may even require conversation. Talking to Pastor Danielle, who knows all things about everything. Isn't that true, Mick? (laughs) He's now nervous. He doesn't want to answer that question. (laughs) No, We don't know everything, but we can always help. We can research. We can talk. You can get into your Bible and just say, what does God say about this topic? And embracing biblical truth, because in that process, you put off stuff and you put on something new in Jesus as you renew your mind. So the priority for your heart is to love Jesus. The priority for your mind is renewal been refreshed in the Word of God, transformed. The priority for our bodies, our physical life, is a word that all of us hate, discipline. And now you wish you hadn't come this morning. But, but discipline can be viewed as a thing, and I'm going to try and help us with that in just a moment. Or it's just, God, I want some consistency in my life around spiritual things. I want consistency about how I read my Bible and doing it regularly, about church attendance, about being involved in a life group, or perhaps doing a course like Valiant Men that will help me to just deal with some stuff in my life. And one of the things you can do is a little bit of fasting. 
Now, again, you go, oh, discipline, fasting. Well, we're about to enter into two weeks of prayer and fasting. And the way you can fast is by fasting, yes, food, do it wisely. If you've got medical issues, consult with your doctor and all the rest of it. There's a whole lot of information. And again, we can help with that. Or it may be, well, I'm going to fast television or I'm going to fast social media or I'm going to give up something else. And listen to what God says to a nation that's actually in a bit of a mess at the time in the book of Joel. Even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your hearts, with fasting. Now the heart is more important, but fasting is a way of returning to the Lord with all your heart and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. So he's saying, I want something changed inside of you, not just external things. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. So as big a mess as they're in, he reminds them that he's not a God who gets angry quickly or easily, and he abounds in love. And he says, but I want to see something happen in your heart. And he says, one of the ways you can do that is fasting. Now, I'm not going to go into a whole message on fasting here, but clearly fasting is a heart thing, not just a food thing. It's a heart thing, not just a social media thing or any of the other things that we can fast. Fasting is not about punishing your body to prove how much you love God. And it's certainly not a hunger strike. God, I'm not going to eat until you... Fasting is denying something in the physical so you can gain something in the spiritual. It's as simple as that. I'm going to deny myself something in the spiritual so I can open my life, sorry, in the physical so I can open my life to something spiritual in God. And it's a hard thing first and foremost. So here's a few ideas to help you frame this. Keys to good success in this area, in helping you prioritize what's really important. Uh, the first one is put the why into the what. Often we rush off and we find out what I need to do, but we forget to ask, why am I actually doing this? So put the why into the what. As I said, a lot of New Year's resolutions are dead and gone by about this time every year because they're based on a desire, which is a feeling. And it's not a bad thing to have a desire for something in terms of improving your life. But what really transforms your life is a commitment or devotion to something. A desire can have strong feelings, but until it's committed until it's transformed into a commitment, it's actually quite weak. And it's the why am I doing this that empowers what you do. And the Apostle Paul boils it down to this in terms of his why, why he does the things, why he endures suffering and persecution and why he continues to put himself into areas of risk to proclaim the gospel. This is his story. And he declares this in Ephesians, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 9. He says, we make it our goal, our ambition 
to please him. He says, you want to know why I keep doing what I'm doing? He says, I want to please Jesus. That's the why. That's the why. And that's a great why for all of us. He goes back to the thing of redoing things to regain first love. The second thing that flows from this is commit to succeed but plan to fail. And you go, hush your mouth. But I want you to think about this. That this is going to help some of us. I really believe this. Commit to succeed. So the devotion, the why, this is why I'm doing it, but plan to fail. If you want to succeed at anything, plan for failure along the way. One of the biggest things that happens is we commit to something and then we miss a day or we have a messy week or we make a big mistake somewhere and the devil comes in and says, look what a failure you are. Look how pathetic your commitment is. Our own conscience may even add to that. And we have this idea, well, I messed up. How can I go back to it? And what you're dealing with there is perfectionism. And God doesn't require perfectionism. He knows we're not perfect. That's why he sent us a saviour. That's why he loves us and forgives us and cleanses us. And perfectionism is a roadblock to good decision-making and to long-term success because you're not going to get it perfect all the time. And if that's your goal, with the minute you mess up, you're going to be so discouraged that you probably will give up. And that's what a lot of people do. I messed up and therefore, I, what's the point? And so you want to commit to success to transformation, but accept along the way, you could fail. God is not after your perfection. He's looking for consistency. Literally, okay, I messed up. I'm going to dust myself off. I'm going to get up and do it again. I love this verse in the Psalms. Psalm 37 and verse 23, 24. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Now, I want you to notice that there's a lot of the elements of the key things we've been talking about. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights. There's the hard thing. I want to love Jesus. I want to delight in him. I want to put him first. I want his plan and purpose in my life. And then he says, this is a person who's passionate about loving God. God says, even if he stumbles, I'm not going to let him fall. So God is acknowledging that even somebody who's passionate, who desires him, who wants the best of all that God can give in his life is going to mess up along the way. And God says, I'm going to lift you up. You may stumble, but it's not going to be a total train wreck. I'll rescue you. I'll turn things together and bring the good out. Even if it was your mistake and a bad choice, I'm going to work it together for good. Give yourself 
the grace to fail, not an excuse, but a grace to fail because God gives you the grace to fail. Get up, keep going and aim for consistency, not perfection. To put the why into the what, commit to succeed, but acknowledge you're going to fail along the way. And here's a big one, turn when into now. You ever said, oh, I'm going to get around to it. Ladies, keep your elbows to yourselves. There's that list of things that were going to be done over the Christmas holidays and they still haven't been done. I'll get around to it. As you probably know, I'm originally from South Africa. And although we all speak English in South Africa, not all of us, where my background is, and we speak English in Australia, sometimes they are two totally different languages. And Linda and I, when we first got married, really got some tension going out of one little phrase that makes perfect sense to a South African but means something totally different to an Australian. She'd say something like, would you take the rubbish out? And I'd say, I'll do it just now. And then do nothing, absolutely nothing. Continue watching the cricket or whatever, (laughs) whatever it was. She said, I thought you'd said you'd take the rubbish out. I said, I did. I told you I would do it next now, just now. None of us raised our voices. I'm just, no, there were occasions. Because to South African, just now is I'll do it in the next hour or so. I'm going to get around to it. But for some unknown reasons, you Aussies don't understand that. And just now means immediately this instant, I'll get up straight away. Well, get rid of the South African version of just now. And that's going to come back and preach at me, I can tell you now. <laughs> Say, God, I know I've been saying I'm going to do this, but I actually want to start doing it now. Even if it's a small bike, you're not there yet. It's your first step towards it. In 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2 to 3, God reminds us, I heard your call in the nick of time, the day you needed me, and I was here to help. Well, now is the right time to listen, the day to be helped. Don't put it off. Don't frustrate God's work. You've been calling out to God about something. God, I want to change this. I want to do this. I want to be better at this. I want to improve that. I want to add this good thing to my life. He said, well, I'm ready to do it, but I'm waiting for you to make the commitment. I'm waiting for you to stop saying the South African, I'll do it just now. And make it the Australian, I'll do it just now. Don't put it off. Turn the when or the just now into now, which flows into the final thing of turning intentions into actions. Because again, in the just now thing, I'd forget. And then I'd say to Linda, well, I intended to do it. And you know what her gracious response to me was? The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Now, you may not imagine her saying that, but 
she did. Maybe not with quite that venom or intensity, but it's one of her favorite sayings, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. <laughs> and Peter kind of says a similar thing to us. In 1 Peter 4, verse 7 through 11, and just kind of lift a few quick things out of this. He's kind of saying to us, the clock is ticking. There's a countdown going on. I want to read the passage. This is the end of all things is near. The clock's ticking. Therefore, be alert and sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do it as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Now, there's a whole lot of things in that, but I just want to lift four key things where Peter's saying the clock's ticking, turn your good intentions into action. And every one of us can shape some kind of plan of doing something to move forward and add to our spiritual fitness this year. Firstly, focus on God's power. He says, the end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind that you may pray. The whole thing of prayer is inviting God into your circumstances. It's not telling him what you should, he should do. He seldom listens to your prayerful advice. Because he's got something better. He's the God that works all things together for good. Commit to staying connected to God, that his power through your Bible reading, through praying, through being regularly in church and in worshiping, corporate, all of those things are ways of connecting to God's spiritual power. Inviting the Holy Spirit into your circumstance. That whole thing of just focus on God's power. God, I need your power at work in my life. The second thing is to focus on people. And what are the people or who are the people that you need to focus on this year? Focus on the key people that God has brought into your life. It's not about doing everything for everyone, but most of us can say, I think God's brought these people into my life or I need to get some people like this in my life. So again, in the context, the clock is ticking, the end is near. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins and offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And so this whole thing of just loving one another, this is one of the ways you can do that is hospitality. Hey, do you want to come to lunch? Let's go out for a cup of coffee. Can we catch up for this? Just simple things that engage people, important people in your life. So focus on God's power, pray, invite the Holy Spirit to empower you. Focus on people. Focus on your purpose, the reason God's put you on the planet. And you may not know that yet. 
And there's a journey, there's a process. God, what is it that you have me to do? In our church, we focus on knowing God, finding freedom, discovering your purpose, and then making a difference. They call to everything we do. And that whole thing, because there's something incredible that happens when you go, I actually think I'm beginning to understand why God has put me on the planet at this time and in this place. So focus on purpose. He says the clock's ticking, the end is near. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength God provides. Again, notice out of this, the clock is ticking, the end is near. It's pray, focus on God's power, focus on people, love one another passionately and love covers a multitude of sins, be hospitable, focus on purpose. He says, find a way to serve others, to be a blessing to others. And yeah, there's plenty of opportunity in our Sunday services and other midweek services, but it's also serving people out in our community, serving people in the workplace, using your spiritual gifts wherever you are. And the final thing is to focus on Jesus. We're coming back to that. The first love, the priority. He says, the clock's ticking, the end of all things is near, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. So whatever you're doing, is God being praised? Is Jesus being glorified? Is he being prioritised? And to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. In each of those four areas, and there's much more in that passage, but those four key areas, all of us can do something. They can take a step in the right direction, add something, reaffirm a value around Connecting to God's power, loving people, focusing on people, walking in the purpose and using the gifts that God gave you and keeping Jesus right at the centre of everything. 